Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Justin Clark. And I'm Adamore Cronin. And today, just in time for Christmas, we are discussing the future of religion. Uh, but before we get into all the data, the growth trends, let's start by addressing our own religious beliefs. So, Matamore, what, how, how are you brought up and what are your own thoughts on this? Yeah, so I was brought up as a Catholic. My mom is definitely a big believer in the church. She goes to church pretty much every day. And I do consider myself a Christian in the sense that the story of Christ and the example of Jesus Christ is a big part of my moral underpinnings. So turning the other cheek, treating thy neighbor as thyself, and even the story of his life and the example that he set where by sacrificing for something greater than himself, by suffering so that others can have a better life, he was able to show that there's real honor in that and that that's a really noble thing to do. So in that sense, he gives meaning to suffering and he shows the importance of doing something for others. So for all of those reasons, I do consider myself a Christian and I think that the example of Christ is great. However, it pretty much ends there for me with the example of Christ. It's, you know, the famous line from Nietzsche comes to mind where he said that Jesus Christ was the only true Christian. Because he was the one who saw what was going on, had this philosophy that was Mm -hmm. probably sparked by the fact that I believe he was a truly enlightened being, just like the Buddha and like other, you know, as Sam Harris would say, the Michael Jordans of compassion. You know, there are people throughout history who are just incredibly compassionate and they just emanate love. And I believe he was one of those people. And I believe he did the best job he could in expressing what it was like to be enlightened and what wisdom he had gained from that. And I believe that his followers did the best job they could uh, extrapolating on that. But I don't believe in the infallibility of any human being who's writing something down. And it's just such an an enormous game of telephone that so much is lost. Exactly. And I really learned that when I studied, uh, you know, Greek Orthodox Christianity in Athens, because you learn about the ecumenical councils and all the decisions like, oh, the book of Revelations just barely made it into the Bible and this other book didn't. And and once you sort of see how the sausage is made, it's hard to have that much faith in the sausage company. (laughs) But as far as Jesus himself, I think he's a great moral leader. I think he's a great person uh, from which to base your moral teachings upon. Um, But as far as like my greater beliefs and just the workings of the universe, I actually think Buddhism is a lot closer to what's real because Christianity and, you know, Judaism and Islam, they're all constrained by the dual, by dualism, by thinking of God as just being good and not being bad rather than God just being the summation of all things good and bad, like mm-hmm. they have in Buddhist and Buddhism and Hinduism. And I also think Christianity is constrained by having this very monarchical language where it's about the kingdom of heaven and God the Father, and he's the king and his kingdom is separate and he's the Lord. And it just gives this yeah. uh, impression of it being like a separate ruler who 
is like right. also a jealous God. I don't believe in any of that. I, I believe that it makes a lot more sense that God is just like the Brahman in Hinduism, where it's the divine God that's within, the divine spirit that pervades all things. And when you sum all of this up, that's what God is. And and that view is much more flexible. It's much more in line with what we know through science and through our own experiences. So I would say I have a Christian basis in that I very much believe in the example of Christ. But as far as what I believe is the most accurate representation of reality, I would say Mahayana Buddhism is the closest. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a lot different from where I... Well, so I'll just start from the beginning. Basically, my family has been Christian, and we grew up in Wisconsin, and there was a big Lutheran, uh, you know, there's a lot of Lutheran people up there. And basically from the first day of Bible school, as we were going over Genesis, you know, going through how God made the earth, and then on the seventh day he made man, I got hung up right there. Like from then I never actually truly believed in anything um, because my thought was, well, what about the dinosaurs? Right. So when, when I started seeing, you know, that was the first contradiction I was introduced to. And then over time I was like, wow, there's so many contradictions in this. (laughs) And, and I never actually, um, got past that. Like I never Mm. mentally got past that for a very long time. Eventually I did. So for a while I was just atheist, but it was hard to even admit that to myself. Right. Because I was scared I was going to go to hell. Like, I didn't tell anybody. I was just like, I think this is all BS. And I don't want to tell anyone because then what if it is true? And maybe what if I do go to hell? And, you know, it was just kind of the this cycle of being afraid and, like, trying to be scared into this religion. Right. And it's not like Lutherans are particularly, you know, combative about it. Like, it's a pretty chill uh, denomination of Christianity, but... Yeah, Man. well, that's. I think that's the dilemma of being taught religious dogmatism in the modern age where you also know about the dinosaurs. You also hear about evolution, and mm-hmm. it's really hard to square the two because they are very much at odds. Um, I think if you look back to people who lived thousands of years ago, they would have no reason to have that sort of dilemma that, that you had as a kid. Mm-hmm because there's no information to contradict that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a lot of contradictions that I've seen over the years, but then there was this time in eighth grade, like I still hung out with people at church because it was a good way to make friends and stuff, mm-hmm. especially when I moved to Tennessee, like everybody just went to church and youth group and stuff mm-hmm. uh, just because it's in the Bible Belt. But um I went to this thing called Resurrection where basically churches from all over the Southeast meet up in this one area, this one place. This is this huge conference. And I still didn't believe that, you know, there was a God at all, you know, Mm -hmm. basically internally, quietly devout atheists. But then I had this experience of just connectedness to everybody as everybody, Mm. you know, it was like this sad, but 
also happy moment as the the preacher was up there talking about something that happened in his life and you know it was just like this weird awakening it's like wow i feel something here like i, yeah. I truly feel something and I, so i didn't you know convert to christianity right there but i did kind of think that there's something more now right, right. you know from eighth grade and then i started you know thinking more about spirituality mm -hmm. and over time this kind of evolved into well you don't need to believe in a whole bunch of crazy things to be religious or to be spiritual and right um and then ultimately where i am today is i can be spiritual i can be i can meditate and i can try to understand myself and understand what these things are that i feel in these moments and i think this is something that sam harris talks about a lot is you can be spiritual and not believe in deeply unscientific things. Yeah, I, I think it is important to make that distinction between spirituality and religion, mm -hmm. which is basically spirituality is like religion stripped of all the dogmatism, and it's just what's left. And I think the trend that we're seeing with certainly with the Catholic Church is that they're actually doing the opposite. They're keeping the dogmatism and they're stripping away all the spirituality. Like what used to make church cool, and my mom will tell you this, is that they had Latin masses, the priest didn't face you, there was lots of incense and bells, you weren't really mm. sure what they were saying, and that's much more conducive to getting into a mystical state of being where you can feel that communion with all your fellow beings. But what's happening now is they just keep all the, all the stuffy stuff, like, <laughs> you know, all the things that you have to recite and they're, they're, you know, it's, it's gotten away from the whole purpose of the spiritual reflective life. Yeah. And if you just, if you've ever sat through a church service, I mean, they can seriously drone on and, you know, th there's, there's this time where it just doesn't make any sense anymore as you're just listening. It's like, okay, dude, like this, you don't need yeah. to, you don't need to keep going. It's just like, it's not even fun to go to some of these services. And, uh, this is like particularly, um, true for Baptist sermons, hmm. um, which is, you know, a really big, uh, denomination in the South. But, um, yeah, it's just the, and we'll get into this, but I think this is one of the reasons we see Christianity on the decline. Right. Is right. is because there is not there isn't the spirituality anymore. It's just let's go and recite a whole bunch of things like the Lord's Prayer and then that's it. Yeah. I mean the way that Michael Pollan describes it is really interesting. We touched on it in the future of reality. But basically it's like imagine Jesus Christ and his twelve disciples had this incredible mystical emotional experience in the last supper there was just a certain magic about that evening and part of that magic was the fact that jesus was willingly going to give him his life for the people that he loved and people who he didn't even know and so that was such a magical event for all the people involved that they talked about it they wrote about it eventually ended up in the bible but the thing is rather than us having our own genuine experiences where 
we go out and we decide that this is this is my path and I'm going to you know put myself in the line for others instead of that we're basically like stage acting this one mm. mystical event that happened thousands of years ago and we're like going through the same motions over and over again rather than trying to create that new for ourselves so i think that's part of also why people are just it's not as as compelling to do that rather than have yeah. the real thing right so uh do you want to maybe touch on some of the big religions like what are the similarities yeah. between the religions and then we can totally. get into the differences so the three big ones are christianity islam and hinduism so those three make up about 65 percent the next biggest is fallen away or non-religious people so whether they're atheist agnostic whether they used to be christian but they kind of got disillusioned that's the next biggest group and then you have some Buddhists, some Jainism, some Mormons, you know, all the other different sects. So as far as which ones are, were you, were you asking which ones are? So just what are the similarities? Oh, them? yeah. So, so, well, I think the main similarities, and I was thinking about this last night, really what religion is, is it's a set of stories for explaining reality but it's also a set of stories for explaining the suffering that you have in your own life and what that suffering means why you're going th why it's even matters to go through the suffering why it's worthwhile why you're it's better to be alive than to just be dead and end it all it's all about asking those questions and i think the three key sort of axes for when i was thinking about this are First of all, how accurately does it actually describe reality based on observations? Secondly, how does it make you feel? Like, do you feel good about yourself? Like, when you have a certain set of beliefs? And the third okay. one is how easy it is to understand. So I think these are really the three key elements mm -hmm. of any religious belief. And I think you could say the same thing about science, um, where certain religions, like, they're better off as far as they're really easy to understand. And I actually think all religions, all the major religions are super easy to understand. And that's part, partly why they've spread so fast. Mm -hmm. And when you think about like, you know, ancient man trying to figure out what's going on, he's basically is like, okay, why am I here? Why am I able to think about my own impending death? And <laughs> I seem to be smarter than all the other animals here. So I must be kind of like the master, but there is some greater method at work because I see this yellow ball of fire coming up every day and setting like clockwork. I see this sort of order behind nature. Mm -hmm. So therefore, some greater being than myself must have created this order. And I must be his favorite creature because I'm the smartest one that's here. And so why would I be here? Well, it must be some sort of testing ground. And if I pass the test, then I get to live on forever. And if I don't pass the test, then I get to burn, I get to burn and have the worst <laughs> possible pain forever. And all religions basically follow that line of reasoning. And yeah. so they're all super easy to understand. They all make you feel really good about yourself because it's you as the most special type of person. But as far as how accurately they describe reality, 
They certainly used to before we knew about theory of relativity and even Newtonian physics and not even, you know, quant, not even getting into quantum physics. But, you know, now from what we know, it seems like Buddhism does a much better job describing reality than any of the Judeo-Christian faiths. Yeah. And, and it's not even that Buddhism, you know, makes scientific claims about the nature of, you know, the world it just isn't it basically about inward um spirituality like yeah it's about you... the the brahman so the god within so everyone basically taps into their own inner god and it's about sort of your own consciousness as being its own cosmos so that's very much in line with biocentricity and theory of relativity and and all of that and it also just talks about god as being the summation of all things that there's the yin and the yang and there's the yin in the yang and there's the yang in the yin and together this makes up the whole world and it's not just saying oh god is just everything that's good and he's not responsible for the bad stuff that's like some you know that's some <laughs> rebel who sort of went beyond what he was supposed to do like so yeah. buddhism is much more accurate compared to reality because it doesn't make as many grand claims it more just tells you yeah take the middle path you know mm. reality is everything god is everything yeah it's much more reasonable like right. it, it's easier to follow buddhism and all the new scientific discoveries right yeah, there it's not yeah. like buddhism is perfect but for something that was created so long ago and to have so much still true today, like that's a pretty big feat. Right. And I think part of that's because intuitively the Buddha and other enlightened beings knew what was going on. And science has proven that through our measurable experiments. But mm -hmm. I think that intuition is a valuable source of truth. And the closer religions can get to that, which is basically pure spirituality, the more compelling they'll be and the closer they will be in line with reality. Okay. So what are the big uh, differences between them? So what, what makes these like Christianity, Islam, Buddhism different from each other? Cause we talked yeah. about how they, they're good at explaining, or at least they were good at explaining or at least they're easy to understand. Story. Yeah. They seek to explain reality and they make you feel good about yourself. Yeah. Those are really the three common denominators in religion. But as far as how they're different, I would say, well, we already talked about a little bit how Buddhism is a, is a more flexible path. Right. I think the other key difference is just who's the central figure in the story? Because ultimately, these are all stories that describe reality. And the central figure in Christianity is Jesus. He's a hippie. He spreads love. He heals people. He just goes around preaching love. And, you know, just like some dude in the, some, some, you know, deadhead in the seventies, he's like, but, you know, obviously to a much greater extent, he's a hippie. And you could say the same thing about the Buddha. The Buddha was just a hippie walking around spreading love. Whereas in Islam, it's a warrior. Muhammad was a very good and pious man in the faith of Islam. And he was known for being very honest, 
However, he also spent a lot of his time in warfare. He led warfare uh, against the city of Mecca from the city of Medina when, you know, against the other religions and other, other groups. And it's interesting if you actually look at his life because he very much preached peace early on and he preached peace and love and similar kind of things that, that are preached in Buddhism and, and mm-hmm. Hinduism. But then later in life, as he himself had to become a, become a ruler and go to battle and defend what was becoming the own, you know, this new Muslim um, political entity, Mm-hmm. Through that, he actually then sort of changed his tune and said, oh, well, only Muslims are protected and you should actually go to war with anyone who's an infidel. And so it was really like later yeah. in life that I think he sort of veered from the path. And what's tragic about it is that that stuff also got copied into the Quran. And so he didn't just have a, a message of love and, and peace. It, it also has that undercurrent of what a warrior ruler, you know, any historic warrior ruler would be expected to have. So, and then if you look at Hinduism, it also, the central figure in that story through the Bhagavad Gita is Arjunu. And he also is a warrior prince. So sort of similar to Islam. But the key focus there is that he's going into battle and he realizes that he's going to have to fight against his brothers and actually kill people who he knows and loves. But he has this dialogue with Krishna, this God, and Krishna basically explains to him that he has to do what's in line with his dharma or his nature. And because his nature is to be a warrior prince and to rule people, he has to go through these trials and tribulations and kill the enemy, even though the enemy are people that he knows and loves. And so even though Hinduism is also has a central warrior prince figure, it's more about being in line with your own nature and your own dharma. You know, like the eagle is not evil for eating the mouse. That's its nature to eat the mouse. Mm-hmm. And whereas in Islam, it's more like specifically about, okay, yeah, it's okay for Muslims, you know, to do these sorts of things. Whereas other groups are in a sense lesser. And Yeah, and there are... Not, I mean, there's also some evil in the Bible too. It's not like yeah. Well, in it's Christianity and Judaism and and Islam, all three of them have a sense of everyone who is of another religious belief is lesser. Yeah, but that's the, not really the case with Hinduism and Buddhism. Yeah, <laughs> I really like what you said about Jesus being a hippie because I've I've had that thought too. Like, if you think about how hated Jesus would be by current Christians, like if they didn't know he was Jesus, like it, it's just funny to yeah. think about how current Christians, most, at least a lot of Christians today would view Jesus today. Right. What would his take on the immigration crisis be? Like, would he <laughs> be go funding to build the wall? <laughs> he, he would be more, he would be like more left than Bernie Sanders. Like he would, he would be, um, complete socialist probably you know complete he'd be a big proponent of ubi yeah i mean just environmentalist for everybody yeah oh yeah definitely it's just it's crazy to think how different the the current 
Christian Christianity um, texts or the way that current Christians act versus you know how Jesus probably right. would act today is. Well, I think also the the suppression of sex and the vilification of sexuality in Christian belief is really harmful, and that's mm-hmm. part of why we have this crisis where you know thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of priests have molested young boys and girls mm-hmm. in just the past however many years. Yeah, and this is a disgusting. serious epidemic, and a lot of it's because they've created this perverted moral system where if you're a gay man, it's not okay to be gay, but it is okay to be a priest. So a lot of gay men flock to the priesthood, and they're not, you know, they're not San Francisco gay men who feel comfortable with their sexuality and they're getting their appropriate releases. They're people that view their sexuality as being evil and they view themselves as having a sickness within their own soul for wanting sexual acts and they allow themselves like the only outlet which is available to them in their life which is oftentimes with these young you know altar servers Mm -hmm. and it's just absolutely terrible and it's a it's a real big indicator of how far they have fallen from the example of, of Christ himself, like the hippie spreading love who would never do anything bad. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's just, a, it's a tragedy, but it's so clear how Christianity could evolve if they wanted to update themselves. Like, you know, just allow women to be priests, allow priests to marry, allow religious leaders to be like anyone else who can go the middle path, who doesn't have to go this extreme, weird corner diagonal path and then things will work themselves out i mean it seems pretty obvious yeah i mean there's there's a lot of things that all religions could do to kind of be more in line with the modern world i think you know there's there's just a lot of dogmatism that people are hung up on these old ways that you know are obviously not valid anymore but there's just this resistance to change right right so um, what do you think about religion and science? Like, are they different from each other? Do they support each other? Or what yeah. are your views on that? So I think religion and science are at odds. I think that religion, or I think that spirituality and science are not at odds. And so I actually think that if you describe science without any spiritual elements, you're missing a very key part of what's going on in our reality. I mean, they talk about, you know, I just listened to this this integrative medicine doctor who's this renowned doctor. I forget his name. He was on Joe Rogan. Andrew, Andrew Weil. Yeah, Andrew Weil, yeah. And he was talking about how science has a real problem now where they have this very materialist view where it's like your body is like this dead collection of matter that just responds dumbly whenever you poke it in a certain way, whereas the power of the mind over the body and the combination of that, of you know what we would call our soul or our mind, in conjunction with your physical body, is super important. I mean, if you look at any study and see the placebo effect, the effect that the mind has in the body just by thinking about what is true, it can have such an immense effect. So I think if you leave out spirituality, you're missing a fundamental part of, of reality. But mm-hmm. 
I think religion is certainly at odds with science to the extent that it says it see it uh, purports to know everything. It purports to have an answer for everything. So I'm for any religious belief that is flexible, open to interpretation and can grow as our wealth of knowledge grows. Right. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. I was thinking about how, I mean, they're basically the opposite sides of the same same coin. So religion and science are both aiming to explain things that we don't know. And I think they go about it in much different ways. Science is a much more meticulous approach and, you know, provable in in a lot of, or at least testable, not necessarily provable. Um, But yeah, I do think that there's a lot of similarities or you can um, have science and spirituality at the same time. If you define spirituality in, you know, the right way, I think there definitely are some sects of spirituality that's it's a little um outrageous like it's a little woo uh Mm. for example like deepak chopra is one that's like a deeply unscientific spiritual thinker um yeah in a lot of cases like he's not all wrong there's a lot of um stuff in what he says um and you know eckhart tolle is another one that says a lot of good things but then you know if i think a lot of people try to like bring the word quantum into things right, and then right. that makes it that makes it scientific because nobody actually understands quantum yeah. uh, physics and stuff but yeah there's there's a lot that goes into um, well, if you look at the if you look at the three factors we were talking about earlier science is definitely very accurate at representing reality as compared to religion mm-hmm. however it doesn't make you feel good about yourself if you don't have that spiritual <laughs> element. You're like, oh shit, well, when I'm dead, I'm dead. And that's it. And yeah. Nothing has any meaning. Um, and also, it's not easy to understand. It used to be fairly easy in the times of Isaac Newton, but it's pretty hard to understand. I mean, I bet less than 10% of the, popu- of the world even understands relativity, probably less than 3%. And you oh, know, that's not I even... would say far less than that. I mean, there's even physicists because to fully understand relativity, you need to be an extremely abstract thinker. Like you can understand the concepts yeah. of relativity. But even understanding the concept, enough. like, I mean, I guess if you had, for instance, like Jimmy Kimmel going up to people on Times Square and asking them <laughs> to explain the theory of relativity, I bet it would be something like, you know, maybe one in 50 or one in 25 that gets it right. Yeah. And that's, that's not even, that's not even considering quantum physics and what's happened beyond biocentricity. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, there's so few people I think that fully understand quantum physics. Like I, I I need to look up the quote that Richard Feynman has, but it is basically, um, nobody understands quantum physics you just kind of have to take you have to go right. with little bits and pieces of what well, makes all sense stories to you. i mean there and quantum physics has a very disjointed story of describing what's going on i mean yeah, there is a story there it's about quarks and they're spinning in a certain direction and then they're in two places at once and it kind of gives you an inkling of this multiverse that's going on and 
there's been other like Maxwell's demon seeks to describe it in the sense that it's like this little like demon spirit that is basically like creating the path of space time continuum that we're on, which is almost like the embodiment of like free will, but it's not really free because it might be random. And it's just a lot to, to wrap your mind around. So that's yeah. part of why religions have spread so quickly because they're real easy. You got a couple key things you got to remember. Like you remember the Nicene Creed, you're good. Just keep repeating <laughs> it over and over and you'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about how they differ because definitely science is hard to explain, especially if we're you know moving towards this theory of everything. Because like you said, quantum physics is completely disjointed from uh, gravity and relativity. And there's, you know, there's a lot of attempts to try to come up with a theory of everything, which, you know, I'd be curious to see what happens if there is a theory of everything, um, whether that's string theory or, you know, a lot of other things. Because the thing about science is, I mean, the best scientists in the world don't necessarily agree that string theory is, you know, the the way to explain the universe. But a lot of people think that it's probably the best thing we have right now. Right. Um, so I, I'd be curious to see how spirituality changes among scientists and physicists who have right. historically had this reductionist view of the world, yeah. like you were saying. I'd be curious to see how that changes. Because I think they're going to hit a brick wall if they don't embrace spirituality because you cannot explain the universe unless you also explain the consciousness consciousness as a key factor of that. The fact that we are observing our own reality, this underlying force where we can almost mm. like create our own reality by believing something to be true, which is like the placebo effect. Right. Um, yeah, so... It, I think there's, I don't know if you necessarily need like spirituality to to come up with a theory of everything. Cause, I mean, maybe if if you if you think of spirituality as being synonymous with consciousness, like understanding consciousness. I yeah, could, I, I mean, what I think of like, for instance, understanding the fact that the Gaia hypothesis is still so controversial shows the dearth of spirituality in science today. The fact that we still think of Earth as like these dumb processes where, oh, yeah, stuff rains and then it gets taken up by the clouds and then it you know goes down the mountain. And then it, like this like circle yeah. of life story, which pervades science, which seems to happen on its own, just like any dumb machine would. Whereas mm -hmm. we are part of this whole machine. And if we're conscious, then what we sprung from must be conscious and it must be have some sort of will if, if words mean anything. So yeah. I think it, it's very limiting to not have that element of, of, I mean, spirituality might not be the right word for it, but uh, something more than just like the dumb, un unconscious process. Yeah. So I think uh, there's another podcast uh, on Joe Rogan, uh, Joe Rogan podcast. He had uh, Sir Roger Penrose. He's a, physicist oh. or cosmologist um, friends from the UK. Hawking. Yeah. Um, but he was saying, he was talking about how, like you said, scientists have had historically just this reductionist view, especially mm. physicists, the right, ones that are, right. you know, tasked with, you know, the theory of everything. Right. Um, 
but what people are seeing is there's more of this emergence property or this chaos where there's there's this huge system of interacting parts and i think that's what you're trying to get at like it doesn't have yeah. to be doesn't have to be like conscious per se but it's it's more than just a whole bunch of individual pieces like right the, it's not like they, a pool table with a bunch of billiard balls bumping into each other right which yeah, is like the newtonian view it's so hard to to think of systems like it's a it's a notoriously hard things for human to for humans to grasp because it's so high dimensional like you have to somehow figure out all of the infinite possibilities that could happen in the future or you have to try to go back in time and figure out what was the starting state that led to our current state like it's so it's seemingly impossible and i think a lot of times it's like prove it's proved that it's actually mathematically impossible to go back to the roots of the start of the system so there's there's a lot of complications there and i think where scientists are you know having a hard time just to defend science a little bit is you can't prove a lot of these things and with this rigor that science tries to bring to the table it's hard to you know, it's hard to prove that the Earth is conscious because we can't fundamentally grasp that. And I do think that's that's a failing, but, you know, just to kind of defend science a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's I mean, it's good that science functions in the way that it does, because that's why it's become the most accurate representation of reality, because it's mm-hmm. it's fundamentally skeptical. So I think yeah. that's good. And any religion that's skeptical and flexible is going to be better suited for 21st century Mm -hmm. so i'd like to talk now about just the data around which religions are growing the fastest which ones are declining and why that might be because that'll help us come up with our future scenarios so it seems like from the data and this is pretty much ubiquitous is that islam is the world's fastest growing religion it has the highest birth rate it's about 3.1 kids per per muslim woman whereas in christianity it's it's more it's like right around two and it it might you know drop a little bit and buddhism is only like 1.5 and non-religious is also like you know 1.5 to Mm 2 so it's growing the fastest for that purpose for i mean for that reason for the birth rate also it's one of the youngest religions so the number of people under the age of 15 is greater than any other religious group um, by far. But as far as like, what's the actual reason that it's growing so fast? I think, well, all of the religions, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Mm -hmm. they all have the most extreme possible carrots and sticks. So it's like, (laughs) so it's like, I mean, we talked about this a little bit already, but if you follow these beliefs and lead a good life as defined by X, Y, and Z, then you will have the greatest possible thing you could ever conceive of for all eternity. And if you don't do it, you will have the worst possible thing you can conceive of for all eternity. So that's part of why religions have spread so fast is just because the carrot and the stick is just taken to its logical conclusion. And I think part of why Islam has grown so fast compared to the other religions is that it has stayed very true to its core 
fundamental mm-hmm. points. So it doesn't allow for much wiggle room. It really does not like it when people fall away. So it's it's very good at keeping its adherence yeah. cloistered. Whereas I think Christianity has sort of allowed itself to be shaped a little bit by the modern times. And because of that, Christians are falling away from the faith. So it's kind of like what we're seeing in the political realm also, where there's not more and more moderates all the time, or at least those are not the voices that we hear from the most. It's more that people are getting more and more extreme. And over time, what we're seeing is more and more people either becoming super religious or not religious. And this mm-hmm. like middle ground is kind of going away, which is why Christian- Christianity is, is expected to lose 100 million adherents in the next 35 years. And by the wow. year 2050, Islam is set to overtake Christianity as the world's largest religion. Wow. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of things too. Like I, I think the the trends that we're seeing are multifaceted. So with Christianity, a lot of, I mean, the U.S. is a historically Christian country. Right. But the other thing about the U.S. is it is a very free country. There's a lot of open information and people have access to a lot of different things, a lot of information about, let's say, evolution or anything else. If they have access to the Internet, there are so many ways that you can be introduced to these contradictions in the religious text. And the thing we see with a lot of um, predominantly Muslim countries is there is not much open information. And there's, you know, not as much access to the Internet and information. And I think it just doesn't give people the opportunity to either see contradictions or see that there's even another way than the current way. Um, So, you know, with what you were saying, along with this, with this open information, um, where I think that's probably another part of the trends that we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a. There's still a flat earther group of society, <laughs> even though there is every possible evidence you could want to yeah. prove that that's wrong. And Besides you know what? actually going in space and right, seeing right. the round earth. <laughs> but you know what? I, I feel like even when people are going out in space and seeing the round earth, we will still have some subsection of society that believes in the flat earth simply because that's a much easier concept to understand. It's more in line with just our raw assumptions as like a dumb ape walking around. Like, oh, it looks flat to me, you know? And so I feel like in the same way, even when every possible evidence has been put forward that any of these religions that focus heavily on dogmatism and seek to know all the answers are clearly not true. And it's just much more true to go with a more agnostic, spiritual, open-minded type of philosophy there will still be people who just are not able to make that leap because it makes them feel uncomfortable. They're not able to fully understand it. And maybe they're afraid to even try to understand it because they've, they've associated these beliefs with a childhood that they feel very strongly connected to emotionally. And maybe it's like their mom or their dad or their grandma who instilled these beliefs in them. 
And so they, the, their beliefs are synonymous with their love for their parents and their ancestors and their way of life. And it's so hard to get past that and to create something new for yourself, like Jesus himself did or like the Buddha himself did, that we can't expect everyone to, to do that. But that is the, the best path for becoming yourself a more enlightened being that understands the world better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that I don't think religion will completely go away for, and you said, you know, a big part of that. And the other part is, you know, of your three axes, science doesn't necessarily make you feel good. You know, it right, feels right. good to believe that there is some sort of reason to these things that happen to these, you know, there's a lot of terrible things that happen to people. And if you can believe that this is part of a plan, right? then it's, right. it's a much more uh, compelling argument than, oh, it was just random. Yeah. Right? You, yeah. You, you have to assign some sort of meaning to these terrible things that can happen in your life. But, you know, there's, I think that's one of the other reasons why, you know, religion won't fully die out, but there's going to be, I think, a point where there's just, there's too much information out there. Like it's the tipping point, like religions basically decline and then go flat at some point. Um, yeah. At least well, the, the, the other, current religions. I mean, the other big concern I have, and, and this kind of gets into our future scenarios a little bit, but the fact that nowadays you can pretty much choose your own reality. I mean, you can go onto the internet and you can literally choose the reality that fits best within your own biases and assumptions. And if you want to believe that there are, like there are literally hundreds of thousands of people that believe that in the poles of the earth are these like mole men that live near the <laughs> core and that it's just been a big cover up and, you know, there's been evidence, but the government's trying to, you know, pull fast one on us. And I what? mean, I've never heard of it. Yeah, yeah. My friend who's a geologist, um, he had some like cable guy come over to help them. And when he heard he was a geologist, he was like, he was like, oh, so and you've been to the poles and you know he had because he had he'd been there for studies and he's like yeah and he's like have you heard about these these mole men living up there and my friend <laughs> was just going along with it because he thought it was so amusing he's like oh yeah like we saw them like how crazy is that and they're like i know and it's i mean this guy this cable guy is living in his own reality and the internet has facilitated that because they have given him all of these bogus points and facts to supposedly prove, I mean, South Park did a great episode about this with the whole 9-11 conspiracy where they're like, they're like 9-11, like four plus two equals seven. There's seven people on the plane, like seven people. <laughs> that's the number of months since this happened. Like, it's just random, like facts and information, like, you know, InfoWars, Alex Jones, like yeah. you can, you can use info however you want. And so that's one of my biggest concerns is that people are going to still always have that need for some sense of purpose or meaning, but you'll be able to just choose whatever reality you want because there's so much information available and there's no good way of discerning fact from fiction right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's just so much variety, like you said. There's If you just scroll through the depths of Reddit, like you can just find these, yeah. these subreddits of 
people that like fully believe something. Like one th- one that I found really interesting recently was incels. Right, I had right. never heard of this um, before a couple of weeks, but like, I guess it stands for involuntary celibates. Yeah. But but these these guys get so obsessed with like bone structure, and they're so critical about like why it is that they can't you know right find right. find a mate, and you know they just it's just this echo chamber of all these reasons why their beliefs like this reality they live in is true. Yeah. And you know it, there's just so many like that um it really i don't know it's well people get people see. get caught into these logical spirals and yeah. often it's caused by some sort of trauma so if you've been rejected by the first four girls that you had a crush on then that could put you into this downward spiral where you think of all girls as being like just horrible people that don't care about guys and it would mm-hmm. be better if if you know the government pair people up from the beginning (laughs) just all these whacked out ideas that you know are sprouting up on the internet and so because of that trauma people do create their own reality and depression is very similar where people get in these states where it's like learned helplessness learned suffering and you get comfortable with your suffering and it sort of becomes this warm blanket and it, it helps you to sort of give an excuse for not actually making any changes in your life. And this dialogue is this inner dialogue can be really harmful for people or it can be helpful if you actually, you know, harness that dialogue and are able to do thought experiments like Einstein did, for example, imagining what it would be like to be going as fast as, as light and what it, what the world would look like. I mean, that's how he came up with the theory yeah. of relativity. So you have to really tame your inner dialogue. And there's a reason why they say that the mind is a is a wonderful slave but a terrible master, you know, cuz you're always sort of saying to yourself like, "Oh shit, like why did I eat so much? Oh, now I'm full and now, you know, I just worked out and this like negates the workout and you're like, "God, I'm so fucking stupid." Oh, fuck. <laughs> And you get so pissed at yourself um, or whatever, you know, for whatever the reason is. But if instead through meditation and mindfulness, you can actually learn to love yourself and to just, you know what? Like I I gave into my urges in this time, but I'm going to be more mindful next time. And I'm going to take this as an opportunity to learn. And I really do love my, I mean, in yoga at the end of classes, they'll often have you actually say out loud, I love being me. And it's like people hardly, I mean, you know, the. it's also, it, people can think it's a little ridiculous, but there is something powerful to just mm-hmm. stating your love for your own self because you can't hope to love others and to spread love if you don't have that begin with from within. Yeah, it almost sounds like, so there's a lot of this, um, It it's kind of like religion, but there's no name to this new movement. I guess you can, sometimes it's called like new age religion or something, but there's, there are these, these types of practices going forward, whether it's yoga or meditation that can replace like the traditional religion. Like you could even say that it is religion um, to some extent. Well, like for instance, with like, you know, in Christianity, when you do the sign of the cross, Mm -hmm you're touching your head and your heart and then each side to do the sign of the cross. But 
Christianity really values your head and your heart as being the two main sources of the moral life. Whereas in the, you know, the new age religion, it's more about your chakras. And it's not just your head and your heart, but you actually have chakras all the way down. And you have chakras in your hands and your feet and the top of your head. And that is much closer to the truth because we have a, an electromagnetic field surrounding us at all times. It's not like it's just coming from one center. And the, the fewer boundaries we can have and the more we can just describe things in this wiggly way, you know, like the resonance theory of consciousness, where mm -hmm. it's more like these fields of vibrations that are interacting with each other, rather than just like, you know, clear cut out boxes of causation. Right. That's more accurate. So I think New Age religion is helping to become more accurate, but it also has some major pitfalls because it's not always rooted in science and people can misconstrue mm -hmm. things and people can be led astray by a by an eccentric guru who then takes advantage of his subjects. So it definitely yeah. has its bad sides too. Yeah, agreed. I mean, there's a lot of things. I'm interested to see what religion and spirituality looks like in the future, especially with AR, VR, because you were talking about how people can just create their own reality, yeah. basically. They're living in this own spiritual bubble that they've created. What happens when we can literally go into another world? How are people going, like, are they going to make this world completely, like, on the basis of what they believe in their religion? Right. Or, you know, that's... Well, I think that's that a good segue to get into the worst case, best case, and most likely future scenarios. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll go into the, these future scenarios. So what do you think is the worst case scenario for the future of religion? So my worst case is it stemmed from religious, um, well, not having religious freedom, basically. Right, right. So if you have a country with um, the political powers that basically force you into a certain religion, that's about the worst case for me because then people are unable to see anything else and they're being censored and this kind of goes back into our episode on uh, privacy and security but there's there's a lot of really bad things that happen when you're being controlled through religion hmm. you know it's just another way to control the population and I think if people can freely go towards their religion that would be a much um better scenario like that's not the best case for me but the worst case is there is no religious freedom and you're basically forced to believe what your country says you should believe. right yeah i had a very similar one where it's you i mean as far as what could reasonably happen i if you imagine any sort of state that has a religion or or religious beliefs where they're forcing it on others and they're not allowing religious freedom 
if that state were to become the superior, if they were the ones who created the first breakout AI, and mm -hmm. because of oh, that, yeah. they were basically able to control the world because the AI was so much more powerful that it could shut down any nuclear weapons of any of the other states. It could divert them. It could hack anything. If you just imagine, like, let's say if Iran became the first state to have a breakout AI that was smarter than everything else and they have nuclear weapons and they basically are able to subjugate all people and force them to convert to not just Islam but to an Islamist version of Islam right. where they're establishing the caliphate and I'm not meaning to pick on Islam the the just reason that I chose that is because it is a religion that it is not good for everyone. If you're right. a woman, there you're not going to have as many rights. If you're a gay person, you're not going to have as many rights. And even if you're someone who has a different religious belief, you're not going to have as many rights. So any religion that limits some portion of the population's rights, especially around belief and just being able to do what you want to mm -hmm. do without harming others, that would be the worst case scenario. I mean, you yeah. know, if North Korea, for instance also had something like that and rather than it being islam it was sort of the you know worshiping kim jong-un and kim jong-il as basically gods in the flesh that would also yeah. be like the worst case scenario so yeah so that's that's terrible and however much you can limit religious freedom and just have worse conscious experiences at some that's the worst yeah. case yeah yeah, I'm with you there. What do you think about the best case? Best case scenario. So the best case would be everyone can believe whatever the hell they want. Yep. So long as they don't harm anyone else. So I could imagine a situation where, let's say, open AI becomes the first AI and it's sort of this democratized AI system where everyone can benefit from it and there are enough safeguards in place that no one can usurp power or or impinge on the infringe on the rights of others that would be a great world to live in because you can believe whatever the hell you want you can create your own reality and virtual reality you can live whatever life however moral or immoral others may perceive it to be but because you're not harming others it's really just maximizing freedom and i think that really is in any best case scenario on hence the future for me it's all about maximizing freedom without harming others and yep. i think a good side effect of that is that we would come to a much greater understanding of what is actually true because the more you're allowing for open dialogue and people to put forth different beliefs and talk about it and figure out where the commonalities are, the more progress you're going to make in discovering the truth. And I think by having that freedom of thought and freedom of belief, we would actually come a lot closer to a consensus around what is true, what is important, what, what should a moral life entail. So that would be mm -hmm. my best case scenario. Yeah, and mine, mine is very similar to what you were kind of touching on at the end. Um, it it's very intertwined with the progress of science, but also how information is spread and ideas are 
vetted. So there is a cost, a social cost, to having bad ideas and spreading bad ideas, something right. very similar to what Sam Harris talks about. If there is this cost, then good ideas are the ones that make it through to the end. And also, if we're talking about you know 50 to 100 years and we make these huge advancements in technology and discovering like what is the true nature of reality maybe by then we do have a theory of everything and it kind of unites people and and maybe there's a better education system that truly makes people understand what is going on with science so then we can hit that access of easy to understand or at least people do understand it because they've been taught well you know, there's, I think there's a lot of different ways that, or a lot of different things that need to happen to hit this best case scenario, you know, from this social pressure to have good ideas and a good education system and also just good science because there's not yeah. always good science. Um, but I think with all of these coming together, people can truly understand the nature of their own mind and be like on this different level of spirituality, like people can have this, they can live in this enlightened state like the Buddha or like Jesus. And, um, you know, I just think it would be a much better scenario for the world as a whole. I mean, I guess the best case would really be if everyone becomes enlightened like the Buddha or Jesus. Yeah. As long as that's probably wishful thinking. (laughs) Yeah. The thing about everybody being enlightened is no one would be there's there still needs to be like some sort of diversity of thought. Right, right. Um, But if there is, you know, people are at least loving like we don't need to have hate in the world. I don't think that it serves, you know, maybe maybe this is me being a naive human, but I don't see the actual purpose for hate in the world like is there an evolutionary basis for this this hatred that some people have or right well they say that um every negative emotion stems from not being in the present so Mm -hmm. whenever you're just focused on the present it's very hard to have these feelings of hate i mean you can certainly be sad or or angry or something in the present if something immediately goes wrong like if you or with a baby and you take away its rattle, it's going to cry. And that's not because of some future anxiety or past depression. It's just going to be sad in the moment. But the Mm -hmm. more sinister types of feelings where it's like holding a grudge, especially over hundreds of years about, oh, what your people did to my people hundreds of years ago, and this is my rightful land, and, and all of that kind of stuff, that all stems from not being in the present. It's like focusing on what happened in the past or what's going to happen in the future. So right. I think all, if people can learn to live more in the present and just put what's in the past behind us, then we'll be much better off. Yeah, I can. I have a hard time believing that everybody at least being able to live in the present and be happier people, I have a hard time believing that that would yeah. be a negative. I, I will say that with UBI and, and automation, Right now, it's very hard to live in the present because, you know, if you're a working person, you're constantly thinking about how am I going to pay for these bills? How am I going to make money? What's my next move? But if you imagine a future scenario where 
robots, machines, algorithms basically do all the work that we have to do. And your only focus as a human is how am I going to live the best life and realize my greatest happiness and fulfillment that I can attain, then I think people can live much more in the present. And I think it'll yep. be like, you know, a kid throwing around the baseball with his dad and the dad will say, you know, back when I was your age, like we, we had jobs. You know, we had to think about what where our next meal was coming from. Isn't it great now that we can just sit here and play ball and do whatever our hearts desire? Yeah, yeah that's awesome. I hope that happens. Yeah. So let's go into the most likely scenario. What do you think is most likely for the future of religion? Most likely scenario. Um, so this is a hard one for me because I can see it going in a bunch of different ways in a, you know, very likely in a bunch of different ways. So one of those, one of those paths is not much different from the current path. There is, there are these, um, bad ideas that continue to spread and there's no way to vet them. There's no way to tell which one's a bad idea. And there, you know, there are, people that legitimately believe the earth is flat or that there's, you know, small people living at the poles, or, <laughs> you know, whatever that theory was. Um, and I also think that there will be countries that limit the people's access to information. Right. And this, you know, right. this can create a downward spiral like we're seeing in the Middle East or even in like North Korea. And I mean, even, even Russia and China, like that's, yeah, yeah. that's still they're not religions in the true sense of, you know, how we've been talking about religions this episode, but it's not that much different. It's still just an ideology of how people are being forced to live, which right. isn't ultimately that much different from a, a religion. So I think things like a lot of our likely scenarios, things will get bad, but as optimists, like, it yeah. will get better eventually once once people see that okay this is not the right way you know maybe eventually in these countries a more enlightened leader will come up and realize that we can't control the people this way um yeah that's that's very similar to my likely scenario i would say though that while I also believe that we are going to get to something similar to the best case scenario eventually, I think we're going to have a lot of polarization and people are going to go more to either not being religious at all or being super religious, like being a fundamentalist, uh, whatever your religion right. may be. And I think if you were to visualize it with like a, with a map, I would say that what we're going to see is like a growing fundamentalist religion with growing non-religiosity. But I think eventually there's going to be a lot more non-religiosity and mm -hmm. then the fundamentalism will shrink. And right. I think there's always going to be some subsection of the population that just they have such a strong representation of the God gene in their genome. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, they're just not going to come around to a more nuanced way of looking at things, but that by and large society will be, will have a more scientific, spiritual, mm -hmm. agnostic, 
just view that's more in line with reality. And hopefully we will also find a system of beliefs that not only describes reality accurately, but also makes us feel good about ourselves for reasons that are that are in line with reality. Like right. it is really special for us to be here on this planet, whether or not God specifically put us here and made us the ruler, which also mm -hmm. is very short sighted way of looking at things because <laughs> we haven't even been around for a fraction as long as, as Homo erectus. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and Homo erectus has been around for what was around for like over like a couple million years or something. Yeah, it's and crazy. we've been around for like blink of an eye in comparison. So to say that we're the ruler of everything, that's like to say that the Roman Empire was like the furthest expression of God's power and order, mm. whereas other empires are just going to follow. So hopefully we can have a system of beliefs that's in line with reality, but gives us that sense of meaning that we want and hopefully is also something that we can understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Awesome. Well, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa to all of our listeners. This has been the Future of Religion. And we go have a wonderful day. We to talk about three very important things. We're going to talk about what has happened what is currently happening and what will inevitably happen. The past, the present, and the 